Uh, we had several questions, and I, you know, I, I really, uh, even any time that I open things up for questions, I always just have a commitment to myself that I'm not going to dodge a question, uh, that I'm going to tackle it and just be honest about it. And so, um, you know, and quite frankly, there, and, and I don't mean this wrongly, but I believe that people ask questions because they sincerely want answers. Um, because they want to know, and, because, and I believe that it's part of my responsibility to give them a biblical answer. Uh, to two questions, and so tonight specifically, we're going to be looking at sexual matters, and um, you know, and in church, this can be taboo. I can remember one time I was preaching in our church in Kansas on a Sunday morning, and I was preaching along as I typically do, and I just kind of went into youth pastor mode and said something that you're not supposed to say in adult church, and I used the word porn, and it was like the air got sucked out of the building to the point where our youth all sat together, typically on this side of the room, they started chuckling because it was just like. <laughs> Which wasn't uncommon for me to talk about those kinds of things in a youth service, but I was with the adults. And, you know, and my response when it happened, I just stopped and I said, well, statistically, six out of ten men have looked at porn this week. So I think we ought to talk about it. And, uh, because that is the statistics in the church. Uh, that's not in the world. And uh, now that's a couple years old. It was 58% of Christian men who are in church on a given weekend have looked at porn within the last three weeks. A uh, couple, couple years old now. And uh, so it's an epidemic. And, you know, and here's the thing that, and, and I've just kind of, you know, when I first, you know, I wasn't going to give this topic to Joey or to Adam just because it can be um, uncomfortable to stand up in front of people and talk about this subject because, you know, but at the same time, the church has also become embarrassed about it. Well, let's remind ourselves who created it to begin with. It was our God who created sex and, and what all comes with that. You know, and so God is not embarrassed to talk about it. As a matter of fact, he talks about it quite often in Scripture. He wrote an entire book that talks about a love story. Uh, between a husband and a wife. And really through their courtship, through their marriage, through their wedding night. And in case you don't know what I'm talking about, it's the Song of Songs. Some people call it the Song of Solomon. And it is very graphic if you can understand some of the examples that are given. And God does not say, I'm sorry at the end. He just puts it there and says, there you go. And uh, so I don't believe that we as the church should apologize. As a matter of fact, I think if we can help people understand sexuality the way God intended it to be, then it will be a blessing and not a burden. It will become a strength to marriages. It will cause people to not be confused. And I believe it hinders the work of the enemy in our life. And so... I'll just tell you up front, I'm not going to be embarrassed to talk about it, quite frankly. Uh, I know some people would like for me to be embarrassed to talk, maybe a little too embarrassed to not talk about this. And, uh, but that's just not going to happen. And uh, so uh, I want to start, and I'm going to teach for a few minutes on some things about this because I believe that we need uh, some spiritual uh, foundation, really, to truly understand uh, sexuality, uh, which in our culture right now is all over the map. You've got, you know, everything from uh, people, you know, is someone born gay or they, are they, you know, by experience gay or they, you know, is transgender. Can they do that? And is that okay? And do you just get to wake up one day and decide, well, I was born a man, but today I'm going to become a woman and I'm going to wear women's clothes. And I'm going to go in the women's bathroom. And is that okay? And yet in our culture, we're told that we just need to sit down and shut up. Well, the Bible speaks to a lot of things. I mean, you know, everybody acts like this, like sexuality and and what we're experiencing today is new. Go read about Sodom and Gomorrah. They wanted to have sex with angels. That's pretty depraved. And that was thousands of years ago. 
I mean, you can read about, I mean, you know, King David, which a lot of people lift up. Well, he murdered a man because he slept with his wife and got her pregnant. So, I mean, that's the beauty of the Bible is it not only tells the, the good side of these heroes of faith, it tells the whole story. And it's real people that are really messed up that God still can work in and still can use and still uses, you know, not in spite of their sin, but he still works with us, which is good news for us because we're really messed up people too. And we all have flaws and things. And so uh, I want to just share a few things. I'm going to show you this book. This is one of the resources that I've used. But there's um, four of this as I was studying. And this is called Real Marriage by Pastor Mark and his wife Grace Driscoll. And uh, so I would encourage you. It's a great book. And, uh, you know, um, and so on the topics of, of sex and purity and really walking with the Lord, he's, in my opinion, one of the best preachers that I've heard that just kind of tells it the way it is. And, um, you know, he says things uh, just in a way that's very, you know, doesn't leave much for question. And, uh, and I think that that's wise in a lot of ways. We shouldn't be ashamed of what the Bible talks about. I mean, I, I'm not embarrassed to talk about healing. So why should I be embarrassed to talk about this? So. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 2, and we're just going to go back to the beginning when Adam, really when Eve was created. But in Genesis chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 21. And this is a familiar passage of Scripture, but, but, and it's something that we need to know about it. And so I'm just going to build some foundation here for a few minutes before I start answering some of these questions. But it says in Genesis 2, 21, it says that the Lord caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord took one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. It says, then the Lord made a woman from that rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, the one who is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken from man. Verse 24 says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, give me a little bit of liberty here, because I want to just really spell this out. We just witnessed the first marriage ever. God being father walks Eve down the aisle to Adam, and then steps into the place of pastor and officiates the first wedding. And there really is what we just read there. Now there are some qualifications here. For a man to get married, he's got to leave mom and daddy. That's important, which means mom and daddy can't be paying his bills. He needs to be self-sufficient, paying for himself. Why? Because that proves he can take care of somebody else. So if you happen to be single or if you're listening to this on the internet and you're a young woman who wants to get married, your boo needs a job. Okay, quite frankly, if he ain't got a job, he ain't ready to marry you. And I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just being honest with you. And so, um, but the other thing that we see, and now, and here's the thing, is that God called this good. Now, what was the call of Adam and Eve? It was to subdue the earth and to replenish it. How do you replenish the earth? Have sex. you got to make some babies, right? And God called it good. It says here that they had no clothes on and were without shame. The, the truth of that statement is they didn't have clothes on and didn't know any different. Why would there be shame? One of the, really the first price of sin was shame and guilt came. As soon as they ate of the apple, what happened? They went and ran and looked for leaves to cover up. And even when God comes to them, what does he say? 
Because he asked, he says, why have you hidden from me? And he says, because we were naked and were afraid. And what was God's response? Who told you? Who told you? So the enemy would love and always does this. The enemy always tries to pervert what God intends for our good. So not only did man fall in the fall of Adam and Eve, sexuality also fell. But just as Christ came and redeemed us from the curse of the law... Sexuality can also be redeemed. Now, the enemy would love to pervert it, and he does all over the place. We see it all the time. But there is an element that, especially when we live God's way, and we do things God's way, is that uh, sex is to be done without any sense of shame or guilt. Now, the only way to do that is inside of marriage. There's no exception to that. God says here that he uh, that it says that the man left his mother and father and was joined to his wife, and the two became one. I mean, we would call that the consummation of marriage. They became the Bible says one flesh, although two distinct people. And, and even Paul gives us the illustration. He says, "Look, this is just like that. That a, a husband and wife being one is no different than the Trinity. There, the Trinity is three yet one. Well, you know." Me and Dara are two distinctly different people. Now some things changed. When we got married, she took on my name. We moved into the same house. We got the same bank accounts. I mean, there were some things that she took my name. So a lot of things that were before divided had now come together. You know, and those are all outward symbols, if you will, of what happened spiritually. So, sex is to be done without any sense of shame or guilt. It is for caring and sharing with your spouse alone. Scripturally, there is no bounds for any of this outside of marriage. None of it. And so it's, but God intended for it to be a blessing to you, to your spouse. And we're going to look at some things. But God's desire is for married couples to have free and frequent intimacy with one another. We shouldn't be burdened down. It shouldn't be, you know, and and I understand that there are seasons, times of life, and we'll get into some of this tonight. But God's desire is for, I mean, one of the reasons, and it's not just, and we'll look at some of this, because I, and and I've talked with people and met people that believe that the only purpose of sex is for babies. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. That is one of the reasons, but it's not the only reason. You know, and so, and if it were the only reason, that causes a lot of problems for a lot of people. What about, you know, just as an example, somebody who can't have the ability to have a child, then they should never have sex if that's true. If a woman has gone beyond menopause, she can't have kids. Does that mean she, they just stop that part of their marriage relationship? Well, no. I mean, if that's what God created for, it was solely that. And there are people who believe that. Not trying to be too graphic, but... There's a couple days in the month that, hey, that's allowable then. And any other day, it's sinful if, it, if, that's, if that's all God created it for. So, but that's just not true. God created sexuality for a husband and a wife that are committed to one another as a way to bond them together. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, and there is, I mean, I'm not even remotely qualified to talk about it. I'll I'll attempt to tell you a little bit tonight about this, but sex is more than just flesh on flesh. 
It is more than skin on skin. It is more than just a physical act. It is a spirit to spirit connection that happens. And any time that we miss that and we think, well, and that's the problem with a one night stand. People think, well, well, it was just a moment. It might have been just a moment, but it has long standing ramifications. You know, and, and so, and it's a spiritual law. It's not even a principle. It's a spiritual law and you can't violate it. Anybody who violates this law will reap the consequences. I mean, because, you know, and look, and, and I know, and we'll have some questions about this. You're like, well, man, I've had sex with multiple people. Okay, well, if that's true, you need to ask forgiveness. First John 1, 9. You need to get that under the blood of Jesus. So I'm not here to guilt anybody or to shame anybody. Look, we all have past. We all have things that we're not as proud of as maybe other things. But the one thing that I want to make sure of is in those areas that I've slipped or I've fell or that I've faltered, that I get that covered in the blood of Jesus. Well, that requires true repentance. Not just, I'm sorry that I did that, but like, hey, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's a, it's a change of direction. And so, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it, it echoes this and really kind of helps uh, put this into uh, proper perspective. But, and this is talking about um, really, uh, well, let me see here. Let me just pick them at verse 15. I have 17. Let me pick them at verse 15. It says, Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the spirits say the two shall be united into one. Now, I think it's interesting here that God doesn't say if a man marries a prostitute. Because earlier in Genesis we read where it says when a husband and wife get married, they consummate their marriage, they become one. Well, now he's not even saying that. He's saying, hey, just the fact that he has joined himself or the fact that he slept with a prostitute, that the two have now become one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one in a spirit with him. It goes on in verse 18, says, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Now that word sexual immorality there, that is kind of the best way I know how to say it. It's like God's junk drawer for sexual things. It's where we get, it's the, the Greek word is actually pornoneia. It's where we get our word pornography. But the thing is, is that God said, if I was to list out all that sexual immorality is, somebody will find a new thing that nobody's thought about. And it would not be covered. So what he did was he just made a, a, a large group called sexual immorality. And he says here, for sexual immorality, so sexual sin is really what that is. Sexual sin is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. You must. It's not a suggestion. You must honor God with your body. And so we see here that God has obviously made it pretty clear that even in the matters of sex, and why does it matter? Because all the people that you slept with before the person you're married to affects your marriage today. Why? Because there's a spiritual connection that you're going to have to break. It's called a soul tie. 
And you're going to have to really ask the Lord and get some counsel on how to break that pathway because it will affect even, let me just be quite graphic with you because this is like NC-17 tonight. It will affect your um, marital pleasure in sex with your spouse. Why? Because it's not just you and them in that bed. And so, you know, and the thing is, it's not, and even in the day in which we live, it's not just about the physical act of sex. It used to just be that if somebody, well, the problem is now, because of the internet, because of the day in which we live, information, I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. He said, hey, the Old Testament said, hey, don't go sleep with nobody. And Jesus says, hey, if you look at her. And all the people who heard him thought, oh, shoot. Because I was doing pretty good because I didn't cheat on my wife. And now Jesus is changing it, telling me if I think about it, that I've done it. Why? Because the New Testament's about the heart. It's not just about the outward physical acts. It's about our heart. And so, you know, we have to understand that even in, in the day in which we live, and we use this word pornography uh, in our culture and most people think of things like Playboy, think of movies, think of X-rated things, all this. Well, let me give you some other things that are equally as damaging that maybe aren't so readily um, identified as dangerous. More on the because you know it's what I it's what I and I'm not saying that I've termed it this, but this is how I say it. There's guy porn and there's girl porn, and they are different. Now, you, now, quite frankly, I'll just give you a few statistics. In the last 20 years, two segments of our population where porn is growing the fastest, which is in females and those over 70. Some of the most um, sexually explicit locations are actually those homes where senior citizens are living. It's more like a frat house than senior living. You would think they're on spring break, but they're not. And I'm not making this up. That's actually fact. So you can actually go look that up yourself. That is true. Well, the problem is, is because sex is not, has been taken out of the context of the way God intended it to be seen. And so, you know, and so this tonight, I really want to start here and really look at a couple things quickly. But this is what really matters for you as an individual. And so it's a question, and then I'm going to really break down... Um, each one of these, as we move forward before we get into some of our questions, this is, and, and it's this, is how do you view sex? And there's really three criteria. Is it God? Is it gross? Or is it a gift? Is it God? In other words, you worship that thing. It's idolatry. And we'll look at some of these things in a minute. Is it gross? Like, oh, we just can't talk about that. Which is the standard of most churches. Like, oh, we can't talk about that. Now, I'm not obviously tackling this subject on a Sunday morning. Why? Because we would have teenagers in here. And quite frankly, this is not for them. And so, we ought to use wisdom. But at the same time, that we as the church need to be able to talk about it. Because why? It's not gross. It can be gross. It can be very gross. But in and of itself, it's not. And so I want to start looking at it as uh, as some people, and this is really where pornography comes in in a heavy uh, way. But and I'm going to touch on a few things here. Uh, I'm going to read a few things from this book, different places. But uh, so number one is porn is God, which I mean this would be um, really um, 
pornography, magazines, but also, and this is, so, you know, most people understand, like, hey, Playboy, that's, for the most part, I'm not saying this completely, um, but that's more of a guy thing. Guys are more visual than women. It's just a fact. Guys, you know, I mean, I was reading uh, Song of Songs today, and it said uh, that basically the husband looked at the wife, and he was pleased with what he saw. Well, I didn't say that about the wife necessarily. It said, you know, I mean, it said the man was pleased with what he saw. Men are more visual. Women are more emotional. Not like emotional as in flying off the handle crazy emotional. Men are more visual as in we're stimulated by what we see. Women are more uh, stimulated by what they feel. By their emotionals, emotional realm. And so... But this is so, you have those things, but here's some things that I would consider more girl porn, right? Um, is romance novels, chick flicks. Let me give you one that's per, it's pretty much porn. I didn't see it, but I don't have to see it to know what it is. Fifty Shades of Grey. That's pornographic. Um, you know, quite frankly, because it stirs something in you. And anytime that something entices you in a sexual manner... But, you know, with someone other than your spouse, that's sinful. That's sexual immorality. And there's no way around it. Uh, you know, and I'm not, again, uh, you know, I have to tell you the truth, quite frankly. And I'm not going to shy away from that. And so, you know, the thing is, is that, and, and this is why it matters, is that viewing anything of a pornographic nature is an act of worship of sex. You are worshiping at the altar of sex when you look and you watch Pornographic material. If you read pornographic, that's an act of worship before the God of sex. I mean, Solomon was the wisest man outside of Jesus to walk the face of the earth. And yet he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Song of Songs was written with his first wife. (laughs) That's an understatement. I think that dude on TV with four wives, and I'm like, shoot. I don't know how that dude does it. I can't imagine 700. But I think he had a problem. How many of you know that he made altars to the God, like foreign gods of sex, to worship them? He made entire temples to worship these sexual goddesses of other foreign religions. So the wisest man to ever live was consumed by lust, and even his wisdom could not protect him. So lust is not a wisdom problem. It's a heart problem. So the worship of sex is quite simply, it's idolatry. It's the taking of a good thing and putting it and making it a God thing. God saw sex. Let me just, you know, I'm going to make kind of a funny statement here, and it is to kind of lighten up. When Adam and Eve consummated their marriage God didn't go ooh gross stop that <laughs> like what are y'all doing no don't no God created man and woman I'm not trying to be ugly in saying this but it is true one of the reasons that I can absolutely say that sex, that homosexuality is wrong now I'm not saying the people are wrong what they do is sinful which is a condition of mankind. Quite practically, the parts don't fit either way. I mean, you know, you can go look into science at intelligent design. 
This is too complex to, for it to just happen by chance. God created Adam and Eve for relationship. Even intimacy in, in, in a sexual way. And, and so, you know, one of the things in this book that he talked about and I really liked is that he said that um, porn is not... Well, let me just read this paragraph. It says that porn harms viewers, rewiring them so as to have their sexuality uh, defined by a sick industry seeking to addict them, take their money, and destroy any intimacy or connection to their spouses. Don't be fooled. Porn is not about sex. It's about money. Like a drug dealer who gives away free samples of heroin, the porn industry continually bombards us with temptation in every effort to get us hooked and to make them rich. You know, years ago, I used to go to Las Vegas every year for a big convention when I did TV work. And you could walk down the street. How many of you have ever been to Vegas? You can walk down the street and you hear this sound. And what it is, it's people who are standing there with baseball cards looking, basically. And you're just walking down there minding your own business. And they do that to get your attention. And you look and they go. And it's a nude photo of a woman that they're pushing some club in Vegas. And you would walk by, and there would, those things would be littered all over the ground, the whole sidewalk. You could come back five minutes later, and it would be totally cleaned up. Well, the casinos weren't the ones cleaning it up. It was the city of Las Vegas who were trying to cover up their sin, although that is their name, Sin City, right? I mean, you know, and so we see these things over and over and over. And it's not about pleasing you or satisfying you. It's about making them wealthy and making them rich they don't care about you and they are out to destroy your life and it will because it will rob you of the intimacy that god intended for your marriage and so you you have to see and understand and know this and so even as we're talking about this is about idolatry because what is idolatry? it's the worship of an idol you've taken a good thing and created an idol it's no different than taking a figurine that you give incense to and make offerings to and you know that you would set in your house that's an idol how many of you know we're not called to idol worship we're called to worship the god of the universe and him alone not anything else idolatry begins in our heart that's where it starts so idolatry is when we allow anything to move up to the level of god in our life And many people are dominated by lust. Many people are dominated like an addict to sexual things. They're dominated by it. They're out of control and they can't control. Why? And and quite frankly, it's because there's chemicals in your brain that God put there to bond you to your spouse. But now the enemy has perverted it. So now it becomes a rut and an empty well that you come back to time and time again. And so what God intended and designed for your good is now harming you. That's how people get hooked. That's the way addicts work. I mean, there's chemicals released in your brain. One of them is called oxytocin. You ever heard of the drug oxycotton? It's the same chemical. Your body naturally releases it in your brain and it's a bonding. It's a chemical reaction that happens. It really, and again, I'm just going to be blunt. When you reach... Climax, whatever you want to call it, that chemical is released in your brain and it bonds you. So when you're in relationship with your spouse, you're bonded to them. But when you reach that moment and you're looking at pornography, 
You could be bonded to that screen. You could be bonded to that magazine. You could be, I mean, and we're talking about even, I mean, things like phone sex. Yeah. Calling somebody and talking to them. Yeah. That's sexual immorality. It may not be pornographic. It is sexual immorality. Yeah. Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says this. It says, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. In other words... They started looking to God on their terms. That's really what he's saying here. It says, as a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself who is worthy of eternal praise. This isn't anything new. We're just somewhat shielded in our nation. I mean, you're, and thankfully and rightfully so, I'm glad the conversation is being had more and more about sexual trafficking of people. Because it's not just young girls, it's young girls, it's young boys. It's people that are being really sucked into an industry. Not, and in America, it's bad. In other nations, it's terrible. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's modern-day slavery. And it's all because somebody's trying to get a fix. Quite frankly, if there wasn't the demand, there wouldn't be the industry. Here's a stat about pornography that's baffling. And this is, it's not in this book. Maybe it is. I don't remember. It's in some other things I've heard him say. But this is a fact. Is that pornography in America makes more money every year than all professional sports combined. Yep. Football, baseball, basketball, hockey. More than ABC, NBC, CBS combined. Porn revenues more. It's in the billions, the tens of billions of dollars. It's big business. People talk about the corrupt banks. Porn makes more. We have an epidemic. And it is true. Well, why is it? Because we've created idolatry and we've accepted and just said, well... You know, I've heard this term. Well, you know, boys will be boys. How many of you ever heard that term? Well, here's the thing. God didn't create sex for boys. He created it for men. Men are those who have a job, who take care of their spouse, who get to enjoy the benefits of being married and committed to a woman. We have a lot of boys who run around fathering kids, running off, Why? Because they're not men, they're boys. Why? Because no one has ever told them this. No one has ever been honest enough with them to say, hey, this is a problem. So we have sex as God, which quite frankly is a larger part of our culture. And that's one of the reasons I've spent more time on it. We have a small segment that views it as gross. We just shouldn't talk about it. It stays in the bedroom. We don't talk about that. That's embarrassing. My dad would fall into this category. Not that he thinks it's gross, but he just wouldn't talk about it. My dad never talked to me about sex. My mom had to because he was too embarrassed. <laughs> Man, at one point, we had to remind my dad, Dad, we're all married in this room. He's like, I know, but it's just weird. You know. 
<laughs> he was too embarrassed. He, he never talked to me about birds beating up. No, nothing. Nothing. My mom had to talk to me because he was too embarrassed. So, but when you have this mentality, it, it's almost like there's this evil element. Like God was surprised. Like, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. I mean, quite frankly, God saw Adam and Eve consummating their marriage. And the Bible says he called it good and blessed it. And sometimes people, and this thought a lot of times, I would say a majority of times, or a lot of the time anyways, comes from sexual sin and sexual abuse. People think sex is gross because they have been sinned against. Somebody molested them. Somebody took advantage of them. Somebody did something physically to them or coerced them or whatever the case may be. They were raped. And so now out of shame... They view sex as gross. And even though they're married, even though they're saved, even though they may even have kids, they're still shamed by the past of the assault that took place. So now they view sex as gross. Therefore, they can't even enjoy their rights as a married person, even as a believer. Because they go back to they were four years old and were taken advantage of. And that wound is still harming them to this day. And it's affecting what God intended for good and to be blessing is now a curse. I have good news for you tonight. If that's you, we serve a God who heals and a God who restores. And you have no need to be shameful when you live and do things God's way. Now, maybe you were a teenager and maybe you made decisions and you openly made a choice. Say, hey, I'm going to go sleep with this person and then I'm going to date this person. And then we sleep with them. And, then we, and you're like, well, what about me? I said it earlier, you've got to get it under the blood of Jesus. You've got to ask for forgiveness. You've got to ask the Lord to wash your heart. And to break those ties to those connections. Because He's the only one that can do it. No amount of counseling can do that. But it can be broken. So we've looked at sex as being God, sex as being gross. But really the Bible talks about sex and that it's a gift from God. Sex is a gift from God, and I want to give you six of God's purposes for sex. I'm going to walk through these fairly quickly. Number one, and sometimes people get uncomfortable with this one, is that sex was created for pleasure. You know, there are parts of our anatomy that serve no function other than pleasure. They have no other purpose. So, I mean, God created us, so that, that is, that's not the only reason. Because if that's the only reason, sex becomes God. It's not the only reason, but God did create us to enjoy sex. There are reasons for that. Song, let me give you this. I mean, the second one that I would say is children. But let me go back to number one. is that The Song of Songs never mentions kids, but does speak of marital passion and pleasure. Never apologize. God doesn't say, oops, my bad, give me some white out, let me take that out. <laughs> So God did create sex for pleasure. Number two, He created it for children. He also created it for oneness, which is truly one of the greatest benefits, especially as believers in a committed marriage relationship, is for oneness. Dr. Stephen Arterburn says this, is that sexual pleasure is one of the most intense human experiences, physically speaking, When a man or woman reaches sexual excitement, nerve endings release a chemical into the brain called opiate. Opiate means opium-like and is a good description of the power of this chemical. Apart from a heroin-induced experience, nothing is more physically pleasurable than sex. 
This is a wonderful thing in a committed marriage relationship because it helps to bond two people together and bring joy in living, or bring, it brings joy to living together and building a relationship. And so those are things that we have to understand is that it creates oneness. It bonds us together. The, other, the fourth one is this. It's knowledge. It's a special relationship that you only share with that person. Hey, I'm not having, I know no one else in this way but you. This is a relationship unique to me and you. And, and so there's that connection. It's also for protection. God gave sex to married people to protect the marriage. That comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2 through 5. And then we'll read a couple other verses quickly. But it says, um, because there is so much sexual immorality. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Corinth, which by the way was like, never mind. It was a church full of sexual immorality. So they wrote and asked questions to Paul. And he says, because there is so much sexual immorality in the church... He's not just talking about the city. He's talking about the church. Each man should have his own wife and each wife should have her own husband. Let me just put it, and some of you may know this term, some of you may not. Swingers is not a new term. They were literally having orgies with churches, members. Like, let's get together. It meant something different. And they're asking Paul, hey, what do you think about this? He says, each man should have his own wife, each woman should have her own husband. The husband, verse 3, should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations, unless you have both agreed to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time, so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer afterward. You should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Sex is for protection. Remember earlier I said that God's desire is for you to have free and frequent relationships with one another. Different seasons of life, different times. And you know, well what's normal? Whatever it is for you and your spouse, whatever y'all agree to, that's your normal. God is not embarrassed by sex. Quite frankly, we're much more embarrassed about it than He is. It goes on here in verse 8 and it says this. It says, So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it is better to stay unmarried just as I am. So in other words, He's saying, Hey, if you can handle it, don't get married. But if you can't control yourselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. I mean, I'm glad that God did not call me to be... Paul and not Mary. And he says, look, if you can't be single and not walk in sin, I mean, quite honestly, I'll just be real honest with you. Me and Dara, I'd asked her dad to get married. He said, I want you to wait a year. Well, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting him to say, yes, I think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. Why would you want your daughter to marry me? Come on, man. And we went and met with Pastor Sam. I sat down with him. I might, and we, actually, me and her both went. He looked us square in the face and said, can y'all wait and not get in sin? Pretty honest question. I said, well, because he said, if you can't, you need to go ahead and get married. If you can wait, he said, I I would encourage you to do that. 
Because I believe God will honor it. But if you can't, you need to go ahead and get married. That's what the Bible says. That was a long year. I'm just being honest. Just being honest. Just being honest with you. That was a long year. Now here's the last one. And he actually gives multiple um, examples of this in this, in this book. Um, is that this, is that sex is for comfort. And I don't mean like, um, I mean comfort as in closeness, oneness. Like even in a trying time. Security. There's safety there. That hey, I'm not alone. Somebody truly cares for me. Because again, sex is not just physical. It is spiritual. I mean, you know, I'm going to ask for a little liberty when I say this. But you can minister to your spouse. Not just in sex, but in many ways. Just by holding their hand, not saying anything, just say, but what does that communicate? I'm here. You're not alone. Putting your arm around somebody. Giving them a hug and just holding them. Not because you want something, but because you're there for them. That's comforting. Now that it may also mean other things as well, but so the six reasons that we can see from Scripture is that sex is for pleasure, children, oneness, knowledge, protection, and comfort. Those are six reasons from the Bible that we can see for sex and really sexual relationships. And so uh, I'm going to start answering a few of these questions. I've got a couple here uh, quickly, and then we're going to try to get some. How many do I have? Okay, good. I'm just going to tell you, I'm just going to read these questions. This is the way they can. I'll get in a minute. And I'm going to try to get through these quickly because I'd like to answer these as well. And so we have two questions that are similar. So I'm going to read them both, and then I'm going to answer it. Um, so the first one is this. Is there any problem from a biblical stand, stand, uh, standpoint of self-gratification as long as no pornography or, Im- or imagining someone other than your spouse? So, quite frankly, we're talking about masturbation here. Is there anything wrong with this if no pornography is used or you're not imagining doing things with somebody else? The second one is this. If you or your spouse are not sexually active, so they're not currently engaged in sexual relationships, is it still okay to please yourself as long as no porn is used? Um, you know, and I've already kind of laid out some of the foundation for this, but I want to read you my answer because uh, if not, I'll take too long. But um, this is my answer for you, though is that sexuality was created by a loving God for a loving, committed relationship between a husband and wife, for oneness, for intimate knowledge, and for comfort. I believe it is best that sexuality should be expressed with our spouse and with their consent and knowledge. Quite frankly, when you're masturbating, you're by yourself most of the time. Well, the purpose of sex is to bond you to your spouse. So if you're there alone and hiding by yourself, who are you bonding with? And so the thing, and here's another element that you have to be careful of, because uh, is that you want to be careful to not become a to become selfish in pleasing yourself. I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say that it's inherently sinful. The Bible never speaks directly to it. A lot of people take verses and they try to apply it to this, but they're really taking it out of context. So I can't say that it's inherently sinful, but it's definitely not ideal in marriage. For self-gratification, God gave you a spouse for that. 
And that's, that, would, you know, that is how I would answer this question. You know, and so, and let me, I haven't said this and I need to say it. You know, what are the qualifications for sex? Marriage. Outside of that, it's a no. Well, but, you know, is kissing wrong? What about this or this? And if we're not married, you know, we can, you know, is it okay if we sleep in the same bed, but we don't have sex? There was a guy one time that we knew and they, him and his girlfriend lived together. And he told me to my face, we don't sleep together. We used to before we got saved, but we're still living together. And I said, dude, I don't believe you. If that's true, you're a better man than me. I'm just being honest. I mean, like, <laughs> oh, no, we sleep in separate beds. Sure you do. Sure you do. I love you, but mm, <laughs> I don't know if I can sign up for that one. I just, you're a better man than me. You know, and so sexual immorality is sex of any kind outside of marriage relationship. So anybody other than your spouse, it's wrong. I mean, I would even go as far as to say this, is that you have to be careful even about, and we talked about this a little bit on Sunday uh, with a question, which is, can you have a best friend of the opposite sex if you're married? You better be careful. That is not wise. Because what you will find is you will be intimate with your spouse and thinking about them. Or you'll go to lunch with them and be thinking like, oh, I wonder what it would be like to be married to them and not your spouse. You're giving an, an avenue and a way for the devil to come in. You're setting yourself up for failure. Next question. And there's really two that I've kind of tied together, although they're slightly different, but they're similar. It's this. If the spouse has a sexual dysfunction, what is acceptable by God's standards to do? Um, So I'm not totally 100% clear on the question. I mean, I'll say there's multiple ways I could read this. Um, There's one that goes with this one. Okay. Says, what if a gal has a sexual uh, dysfunction and mostly unable to have sex? What is okay by God's standards to do? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to rephrase the question. Other than the physical act of sex, uh, it says uh, marriage seems stagnant. So, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't speak clearly on a lot of things. Uh, and, and I'll give you some qualifications here in a minute. Uh, the next question I would have that ties in with this is can we fill in the blank? Because everybody always has that question. Like, what are we allowed to do sexually and not do? Um, you know, um, another thing that comes to mind for me is, you know, I remember when we got married, somebody gave us a Kama Sutra book. I would never look at it. Quite frankly, it's pornography. If you don't know what Kama Sutra is, don't worry about it. It basically shows you all these different things you can do sexually. Um, yeah, it's pornography. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't endorse it. I wouldn't encourage you to do that. So here's, here's, and really, I, I don't have a direct answer, but I do have some qualifications uh, on these questions. So I'm going to sum it all up by this, is that can we blank, fill in the blank? Well, we're talking about, you know, again, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm already here. So, you know, whether it's touching, feeling, oral, you name it, uh, all of those, can we fill in all those things? Um, you know, here's my qualifications. Number one, is it lawful? In other words, is it against the law to do it? I'll just give you an example. You cannot have sex with a child. You cannot have sex with a dog. You can and I say that because it happens. People do some crazy stuff. Those are that's against the law. So no, you can't do that. Number two, is it helpful? 
So really, is it lawful, number one, by Scripture, and number two, by the law? Does Scripture speak specifically to it? That's why homosexuality is wrong. The Bible says don't do that. So Scripture says that's wrong, but then there's other things that say, hey, that's wrong by the law. Number two, is it helpful to your marriage, to your relationship? In other words, does it bring closeness or does it bring separation? So, quite frankly, one spouse wants to do a certain something, and the other one says, no. Or maybe they say, well, you know, if you want. But if it creates a separation, that's not helpful. That's bringing a separation. You probably shouldn't do that. Number three, is it enslaving? So in other words, you know, and, and like as an example, I mentioned this earlier. And, and again, I've never seen the movie. not going to see the movie. I just saw the other day. They're coming out with a new one, I guess. Um, but is it enslaving? I mentioned this earlier, Fifty Shades of Grey. The guy had rules or whatever it was. I don't know what they call it. Basically rules of engagement in technical, legal, war terms. That, hey, if you're going to be with me, this is the way it's going to be. Well, that's slavery. That's not a relationship. That's somebody who's dictating and lording over another, saying this is how it's going to be. You know, that's uh, someone abusing and, and, and really taking advantage of another. So is it enslaving? And so these are some of the things that I would say are enslaving. Is it addictive? So in other words, can it create an addiction in your life? Um, you know, like, let me just use another one. As a married couple, can we look at porn to spice up our marriage? No. No. Why? Because you're bringing somebody else into your bedroom. And it will create more issues for you. Why? Because porn is addictive. It has a high addiction tendency. Whether you're an addictive person or not. You're biologically wired certain ways. And every human is. Another way that something can be enslaving is, is it obsessive? In other words, it dominates your thoughts. You can't think about other things because that's all. You're at work, you're with your kids, and all you can think about is something you read, something you saw, whatever it may be. Number three, is it unhealthy? If it's not healthy, you probably shouldn't do it either. So those are my qualifications to that whole can we fill in the blank. Is it lawful? Is it helpful? And is it enslaving? So if you can answer those with your spouse and everybody's in full agreement. The other thing I would say about this, as long as you and your spouse are in agreement. In agreement on it. Whatever you want to fill in that blank with. I mean, go read the Song of Psalms. Song of Songs. It's pretty graphic. It's got some, when you understand the imagery of what's being said, they're pretty graphic. You know, in, at the very beginning, in early churchhood, like the first hundred years after, you know, they taught the Song of Songs as a literal story. And as people got more refined, they decided that they were going to do it more like a relationship and a symbol of the relationship with God. But the, the early church actually taught it being a literal story. Love songs come out of that. And they would celebrate the story of romance. We shouldn't be embarrassed by it, but we also have to understand that as long as you and your spouse are in agreement and as long as there's no guilt and shame for one person, it's a matter of conscience. Anything that the Bible doesn't speak directly to, it becomes a matter of conscience. In other words, does your heart convict you? 
So you might try something and be like, something just don't sit right with me on that. You probably shouldn't do it then. But if you and your partner now, and I would say this, can, can we, can we, not can I, can we, <laughs> y'all have to be in agreement. You don't want to be selfish. So this is a matter of scripture, so does the Bible speak to it, and conscience. If it results in shame, guilt, or an uneasiness by either spouse, then you shouldn't continue. We are to be servant lovers, not selfish ones. Sometimes we serve one another. I mean, again, just put another. I'm not in the mood. If your spouse is in the mood, you might need to be in the mood. Why? Because there's going to come a time when you're not going to be in the mood. You need to serve one another. Why? Because exactly what it says in 1 Corinthians. You're warding off the devil. And if you keep saying no, 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 they will go find a yes, 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 yes somewhere else. Quite frankly. So we have to be careful about this. Let me answer this one real quick. And then I've got two questions. Okay. Uh, How often should we be having sex? Everybody wants to know this one. What's normal? Whatever is, huh? Daily. Daily. (laughs) I remember when, when we did the XO conference... Hey, I remember when we did the EXO marriage conference back in February, uh, Jimmy Evans, I think it was Jimmy Evans, talked about this particular question. And he said, if one spouse says two and one spouse says seven or 14, the answer is seven and three quarters. I don't know three, I don't know how you come up with three quarters or what that means, but you can define that in your own marriage. But the truth is you need to be in agreement. And if one spouse always gets what they want, that's not compromise, that's not servanthood. There needs to be a compromise. One person says once a week. One person says once a month. Y'all got to come up with something. I'm just, I'm, look, I'm just, being, I'm just telling you truthfully. Now, here's some things to consider. This varies by age, by seasons of life. If one spouse is sick, you may have to refrain for a time. But it's for a time, and it's at y'all's agreement. This isn't just, no, I'm not doing that. It needs to, you got, you got to have the guts to have the conversation with your spouse. Have the uncomfortable conversation. Even though it's uncomfortable, you got to talk. Why? Because you're keeping the enemy at bay. So, how often? It varies by age, by seasons of life, but it should be mutually agreed upon and most likely a compromise by the two of you will be the proper frequency. So, it's as unique as you are. That's my answer. There's not a right or wrong. Let me say it this way. You shouldn't go a year without having sex with your spouse, unless there's a physical thing. But I'll just say it this way, is that God created us as creative people. I don't need to give you a a book on how to. God is creative and we are creative. So if you've got to figure out something else, figure out something else. But I don't need to tell you. Let me say it this way. Have fun and figure out what y'all like. (laughs) You know, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to make light of this. But at the same time, try something. We don't like that. That wasn't cool. (laughs) 
Now we did that. And that was kind of nice. That was kind of enjoyable. Maybe we should kind of add that to the list of what's okay. Look, I told you I was not going to be embarrassed. Darren's telling me to stop. She's like, just stop. Just stop. I'm doing this for the people that are going to listen to this on the internet. Uh, you know. Okay. Hmm. All right. Hmm. I'm going to read this other one first, and you'll understand why in a moment. Um, it says, just curious, what is the biblical standpoint on anal sex between husband and wife? The Bible doesn't speak to it, quite frankly. I'll just tell you my personal opinion on it. This is just me. I'm a germaphobe. It's a No. I'm not sure. I'm just. It ain't happening. So. Okay. So here's the last question that I know of. So far it looks like the last one. Okay. So. It says, how do you have an emotional sexual connection with your spouse if you have been sexually abused or raped in the past? Even if you have forgiven, but just don't look at sex the same anymore. Um, you know, actually in this book, um, the pastor's wife, Grace, was sexually abused. And she actually talks about this quite a bit because she, um, she was sinned against um, in, that, in that manner. Um, that somebody had... Uh, really had taken advantage of her, and uh, you know she had had multiple partners as a teenager, um, you know, and just very, very many things. But it became a very big issue in their marriage for more than a decade because she viewed sex as gross because of the trauma that she had experienced. And so, some practical things that I would tell you is I would encourage you to go uh, find either a good resource, and if you need one, I can help you find one on the Song of Psalms, uh, Song of Songs. And you need to begin to read that and realize that God has given you sex as a gift. It's not a curse. And the damage that you have experienced does not have to last. And that God can heal you. God can restore it. And He will. Much of the problems that stem out of sexuality today stem from a wound. I don't remember the exact number, but I believe it's around 80% of male homosexual men were molested before the age of six. And that might be low. It might be higher. than I think it's higher than that. So even the issue of sexuality and sexual identity, why? Because and, and many times they were molested by a man when they were very young. Therefore now, so that was a trauma that happened when they were small. And so now they identify as, why? Because their first sexual experience was with another man. But God heals and God restores God will work for you. And so even in this, is you know, even the question says, um, even if you have forgiven that person, but you just can't look at the same anymore, you're going to have to pray and ask the Lord to help you. Because God gave you sex as a gift. And He created it for your enjoyment inside of the confines of marriage, inside of that relationship. And, and truthfully, uh, in my, what I would say and my heart would say this, is that because of the trauma that happened, is that the devil is now using that to rob you of what God has for you. 
You know, and, and so you've got to realize this is an attack of the enemy on something that God intended for your blessing. And when you realize that, it's no different than getting saved. It's no different than getting healed. It's no different than walking in freedom. It's no different than an addiction. It's, it's something that, that the devil has tried to bring into your life to destroy what God wants to do in your life. And just like he'll heal you, just like he saved you, just like he redeemed you, just like he's restored other areas of your life, he can do the same. Now, there may be some counseling that needs to happen. You may need to go see a legitimate counselor and sit down with them and to walk through some of that trauma. Um, and because you need to understand why you think the way you do. Uh, it will change who, how you see people. Because just, I mean, quite practically, especially if you were young and molested, you will see everybody as a predator. Male, female, doesn't matter. But let me, let me just give you an example. Just say that um, you're a young man and you were molested by a man who had a big beard. You will be fearful of every man with a beard. If he wore a ball cap, there will be triggers. And every time you see, the, you see that car or that smell that was in that house or that room, there will be triggers. That's the work of the enemy. And you've got to recognize that. Is that Jesus came to redeem. Jesus came to restore. You are not broken beyond repair. You are not broken beyond repair. And this can change and God wants it to change. And so, you know, I mean, I don't even know who asked these questions, quite frankly, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but um, if that's you and you say, man, I, I want to be healed, I'm not going to ask you to identify yourself for any of those kinds of things because that's between you and the Lord. But if you need help and you need uh, somebody to help get you started in the, on the road to getting healed, come talk to me or Dara. Let us know. Call us, text us, whatever you want to do. I don't care how you do it. Um, you know, and we will help get you resources, get you the information, get you the things that you need so that God can begin to heal you. Because that scar does not have to define your life. And God will redeem even that wound. And God will heal those areas of your life that are very painful. And the truth is why it still affects you today is because it's painful. It's not just an event that happened one time. It still affects you to this day. And so it's got to be healed. And the only way for it to get healed is by the power of God. By the presence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. But you can get healed. You can be whole. God takes the broken things and doesn't just heal them. He makes them whole. Which means he can make it like it never happened. You know, I mean, there's elements. uh, And I'll say this as I uh, wrap this up tonight. There's elements of my testimony. um, You know, and parts of my history in my life. As a teenager, I was, uh, you know, I didn't live for God. Uh, I mean, I got saved when I was almost 17 years old. And so I was a sinful teenager, quite frankly, in lots of areas, whether it be pornographic, whether that be with females, whether you name it. And, uh, you know, but now, 20 years later, uh, and this has been this way the majority of my Christian life. It's not something that necessarily just took 10 years to happen. When I tell my testimony, it's like I'm talking about somebody else because I am. The Bible says, Behold, if any man comes to Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so there are things and wounds from my past. And I shared about this Sunday morning that I shared about even as being a cheater and then being cheated upon. That it created issues even when I was saved and walking with the Lord. And God brought Darren into my life. And she had to pay the price of what my sinful decisions were. And I was faced with a decision. Am I going to let the Lord heal me so I don't ruin what God brought into my life? And that, and I, and I was very aware of that. 
And so I had to let the Lord do a work in my heart so that I wouldn't be a paranoid jerk all the time. No, you can't go there with them. He's going to be there. Well, I'm not. I'm going to hang out with my friends. And they're all girls. I don't care. That one dude might be there. Well, that was my sin that I was still letting dominate my life. That was now affecting her. And thankfully, I let the Lord work. Isn't that right? You know, and God healed some things. But when I talk about my past, I mean, it's almost hard to even call it my past. Because I'm like, was that really me? Did I really do that? Did I really say that? It really is. I mean, the, the, the Holy Spirit has truly washed me of, and my conscience is clear. Yeah. I don't identify by those things. And those things don't identify me. Why? Because I have a new identifier. I have a new thing in my life. And it is Christ and what he's done in my life. And so it doesn't matter whether you've been uh, sexually promiscuous. If there's been things that have been done against you. It doesn't matter what the case may be. Your past can be past. It can be over and you can move forward and God will work in your life.